this morning out of the book of Hebrews. Go to the 10th chapter, and, and I just want to take this reading out of the out of the 7th verse, 10th chapter of Hebrews. Again, we're excited about our new babies that are, I said, don't have them right here this morning. We don't have any doctors in the house, except shade tree doctors, right? But um, we're excited about that. Be praying for them. It, you know, it's, it's soon. It's soon for both of them. So we're just believing God to be with them. Amen. Yeah, okay, if you have your place this morning, we're going to, in the book of Hebrews, I want to start out. And I want to take a thought out of here that kind of is going to have to blend sort of with where I'm going this morning. I want to talk about Jesus, the Lord, head of all things. It just kind of pressed in my heart. The seventh verse. Then I said, lo, I come. In the heading of the book, it was written concerning me to do your will, O God. So we're reading the King James 2. Then I said, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. To do thy will, O oh God. Lord, we just love you this morning. We thank you. I pray that the reading of your word and anointing will begin. An elevated discourse. Not just a discourse this morning. Something elevated. Something higher. Lord, we're not just sitting around the fireplace talking now. I pray that an anointing will touch and grip our hearts the reading of your word and the inspiration of the Spirit of God would take this word of God and just begin to burn it, a fire inside of us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Years ago, I was studying the scripture, and, and it comes out of the Old Testament. Lo, I come to do your will, O God. It was written of me in the volume of the scroll, is what it says in, um, in the King James, or English versions, in the volumes of the scroll. But really, there's a word there that I need to, to deal with just a little bit. When it talks about the volume, what they're using, the word volume there, or the heading there, is the word Kephalidi. The word kephale is the Greek word for head. And so that's where we kind of want to talk this morning. I thought I would kind of kick off on this, on this thought because when they took the scrolls in the old time, you know they were just rolls. Have you everybody seen the scrolls? They're rolled with two rods and then rolled together. They would roll them out and then roll the one. And, and so forth. We turned pages, and that's what they did then. They didn't have books. They had scrolls. And so they would open those scrolls. But first, they would, they would go to the specific scroll. And how they knew which one was which 
was on the knob of the little rod that went down through the scroll, on top of the knob, what they called the kephalidi, which was the head of the scroll, it would have there the name of the writer, the writing, the scroll. And so you find Jesus. He went on the Sabbath day, went to where he was always had gone, to, to the synagogue. And they took the scroll, Isaiah, and handed it to him. Well, how did they know it was Isaiah? They just have scrolls rolled up and, and, and in a place. They kept them in, from what I understand, they kept them in a cabinet and very careful about uh, the, the scripture. But yet they would have to reach in and, and find which scroll it was. So there was a heading on those scrolls. And so I like this one. Because it was written in the scroll of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's talking about the Lord. His name was written on the scroll. I come to do your will Oh, God. And what we're reaching for this morning is not just the scroll of Isaiah, not just the scroll of the prophets, not Moses' scrolls. We're reaching for that one that says the Lord Jesus Christ on it. Because we don't have any other revelation to deal with this morning except the Lord. And the heading of what we're going to teach this morning and preach this morning is the Lord Jesus it's him. It's about him. I, I think I stay on this subject quite a bit, but it really is where I'm at. It's where I'm at as a, as a pastor, preacher. It's an anointing that God has given me to see into the scripture, to find him there, to, to research the Lord there. And, and obviously, I don't know even a part of what I should know, but I can see the Lord there. And so the heading of the scroll this morning and what we're going to preach is is the Lord I come to do your will O God and it's the Lord himself and uh, so as we break this out this morning I don't want to introduce you to anyone else but the Lord Jesus Christ this morning see I went to last Sunday we had beautiful dinner I'll tell you what these dinners are are becoming really something really great we could have fed a multitude I mean we had so much food left. Somebody said, why don't we just have the second dinner after the second service? And we could have. Uh, but after that, and we dismissed, and everybody went home, and I thought, well, I'd just go to church somewhere tonight. I kind of um, take that opportunity, and, and if there's a revival or something going, or somebody that we've heard about want to slip out to church, well, I have that evening to do that, so I went to church. And I don't need to say where it was, but... Just a local church here, and uh, I heard some things that really kind of disturbed me a little bit, and and so I I, I had to be careful. Um, I'm I'm sort of you know I believe that I can fellowship with people if you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's our qualifier for fellowship. You love the Lord Jesus Christ, so I can go to a church where. They preach and love the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? It doesn't mean that I necessarily believe everything that they believe. And, and so I have some thoughts of my own. And, and let me say this, for, for some of you may have not been here very long, I was raised 
in a, in a uh, standard Protestant atmosphere in doctrines and beliefs and, and uh, loved the Lord just as much then as I do now. What I have now is that I see some things differently than what I used to see. And, and so my, my quest to find the Lord is a little different because it's more centralized now and I understand some things that I didn't understand. But I can go to a church where they don't believe exactly all of the doctrine that I believe. I'm okay with that. I mean, we did it as a church here. We went, to, went out to uh, Sepulpa and uh, went to that church. Good people. We enjoyed being there. They have some things that, that uh, you know, I wouldn't work with this morning. I'm wearing a tie. They don't wear ties. Ties are neck jewelry. Well, I didn't know that. You know, I thought they were just a tie. But that's their belief. Hey, I'm fine with it. They will wear a tie. If I go there next time, I won't wear a tie. That will make everybody happy. But there are some things that when you begin to understand what this whole thing is about, there's some things that change in your heart. And so my love for the Lord, it just opens up my understanding in some study things. Is that okay? Everybody okay? So I went to this church, and there they begin, uh, the brother began to preach, and it was all stirred up. He got into Acts first chapter and wanted to talk about receiving the Holy Ghost. So that's a subject that there's a, there's a lot of debate about. There's, um, well, the way, you know, that, that I was raised and understood and, and what I understand now may be kind of two different things on the process and what's going on with that. But, but it really kind of disturbed me in this. And I, I will say this, and I want to be, like I said, I want to be careful. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Um, but he said this. And I know that he, he did it out of his own passion, his own heart. He wasn't trying to do anything wrong. This is what he believed. He said, you, re, you need to receive the, sec, the, excuse me, the third person of, of the Holy Trinity just like you received the second person. Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior. And then... You meet the next person, the Holy Spirit, and, and you invite the Holy, Holy Ghost, rather, not Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, come into my heart. And, and I, I would just like, you know, I wanted to stand up and say, no! Because something happens when we take that approach. Christ is over here now. We got saved over there, but now we're doing something over here. Now we've got the introduction into a whole new life, and if you want power, if you want power, you need to receive the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm going to try and explain that a little bit. If you want power, <laughs> I don't think you're going to get power by that I think the Lord holds the key to everything in Christianity. So Matthew 28, 18, Jesus claimed this. All authority, your English version is going to say power, but all authority in heaven, everybody say in heaven, and in earth belongs to me. Now, I've got to do something with that. 
If I want power, I get another person. Wait a minute. Jesus said all authority and power belongs to him. So there's kind of this, and, and, and this, is where, this is where the lines are drawn for me. And, and uh, with William Penn, I have a problem. William Penn, William Penn got to the place. He said, I need to know if there, if there is another person of God, I need to know what the line of separation is. What keeps them apart? What defines them? What is it that, hey, they're all God, right? Chris, Brother Chris is preaching about the omni stuff. And, and so each person claiming to be the same God, but what's the line? What's the difference? But I see in Scripture that Jesus made some claims that are going to have to be looked at. Everybody say amen. Let me say this. Authority is above power. Authority. Power is assigned. Power is given. Here's how it goes. The king, he assigns power to the general and the army. But he is in authority. So our government, boy, this will scare the willies out of you right here. We've got a guy that is in, in authority of calling war for a country that's just not there. But he has the right, according to our government, he has the authority to declare war. And when he does that, he assigns the power to the generals of our army to go and do and attack and, and protect and whatever it is that they do in war. See, a Lord has... He has the authority over his servants. Not just power. He has authority over his servants. Jesus said this, that a king, a king, uh, he took his servants. Well, he was a master, rather. Not, not a king, but he was, he was a master. He took his servants, and he gave to them talents, right? He said, I'm going on a trip, and when I come back, I want you to have taken these talents and put them to work. He assigned to them the power underneath of him. See? A master assigns to his servants. A king assigns to his armies to legislate to them power. A boss. Everybody here have a boss? If you're working, you have a boss. And if you're not, if you're married, you have a boss. One way or the other, right? So a boss has... Employees, right? You don't get to just go out and do what you want to do on the job. That would be nice. You know, I'm here and I think I'll do this today and I think I'll do that. No, no, the boss says, I'm in authority here. And now I'm going to give you the right or the power to do this or that or the other. It's kind of reminded of the coach and the team. The coach isn't necessarily stronger than the guys on the field. But he's got the authority. And so, I'm going to play quarterback. No, you're not. No, you're going to play, you know, whatever, defensive back. No, I want to play. No, no. Who has the authority here? 
And so the coach has the authority to give. And so I'm drawing this picture of the Lord who claimed to have all authority. And so he's the one who can delegate what we call power. You don't have any power unless the Lord delegates that power, issues it out to you. So in Acts first chapter, Jesus said, and you shall receive power, right? Dunamis, ability, power that you don't have to do. You should receive power, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and you will be witnesses of me. But the catch is, John the Baptist said, this is the one who baptizes in Holy Spirit. So you can't get outside of his authority. Everybody understand what I'm saying? So we're going to talk about Holy Spirit. We're talking about something that the Lord has authority over. His Spirit. If you have not the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. And so He maintains that He has and keeps authority. Jesus, the Holy Spirit baptizer. So within His power to do, within His power Within his authority, he baptizes them, and he baptizes us by his Spirit. Who's doing the baptizing? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is where I run amok when we kind of separate down and say, well, you need to meet this person or that person. But, but he alone has the authority to grant his baptism into your life. He alone. Can you say amen? He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. And so i got a couple of verses that, that uh, repetitious. I think I even quoted them. I'm going to tell you what. If you want to, you're getting a little discouraged about the Lord. There's some questions about him uh, a little bit. Where does he fit, you know, in the Godhead and all that? Go to the book of Colossians and read the book of Colossians. It'll do you some good. Colossians, the first chapter, 17th verse, he is before all things, and all things consist in him. He uses the Greek word pra. He is before. It doesn't mean that, you know, in time necessarily, but it means that he comes before all things, and he is in front of all things. And then it uses the word for all things consist in him, soon estimi. And that means to stand together. And other scriptures say this. He holds all things together by the power of his word. Colossians, the first chapter, 18th verse. And he is the head of the body. He's the head of the body. So let's talk about that, that quote a little bit. The head, the head. All of God's creatures that he created in the beginning, they all have a head. I don't know if you've thought about this or, or looked at God's creation in this way, but he doesn't create anything that doesn't have a head. And that goes further than just physically. Because this word, kephali, 75 times in the New Testament, and several times it refers to the Lord. Its meaning can be taken literally 
or it can be taken figuratively in this way. Literally, consisting of facial features, skull, um, and a brain. That would be literally the head. Then the second, second type, or figuratively, would be the presupposed authority or above or over. We like to talk about this. Pastor Ronnie's been talking about the men being the head of the home, right? We've been talking about that. Head of the home. Responsibility. We have this uh, uh, presupposed authority over the men. It's not from this church. It's not from, from you, you know, how we see things. That's from the Word of God. And, uh, but it's, it's this authority that, and so we call it headship. We call it uh, the head of the home. It's like Christ being overall God in Romans 9 and 5. He's overall God. He's over everything. And so that puts him as the head. So Colossians 1, he is the head of the body, the church. I believe that could be literal. That he is the head, literally, and then Colossians 2, he is the head of all rule and authority. I don't have anywhere to take you higher. There are people that want to believe in God in another figure that's higher than the Lord. But he's the head of all rule and authority. So there's nowhere to take to go higher than him. To go over the top of him, he has ascended to the highest place. His name is above every name, meaning that every other name is below his name. Because he is in front of everything. He both literally and physically and figuratively is the head of the church. We've been talking about the church, preaching about the church since we've been here. Been just going over some things about the church and and what we do and what we practice and what we're about and, and what the church is meant to be in the kingdom of God. And we're talking about that in, in some depth. And and but we cannot miss this part. This 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 just sets us up. What we've been doing just sets us up to understand that He's the head of all things. And so I want you to know that that we're gonna we talk about head. It's the, the, the head is the control center of the body. It's the control center of the body. Beauty is only skin deep, I've heard people say. And then they finished it, but with ugly goes all the way. But beauty is only skin deep. A beautiful person is not just because they have beautiful facial features. So every one of you women, you get up and, and you're this morning even, you know, you're doing the stuff, whatever it is that you do. I think I need to add a little bit of this and take away a little bit of that. And, and uh, you know, and then, then, then you look in the mirror and, and at some point you have to say, okay, I'm finished. And I tell Kay, when I'm, I said, this is good as it gets right here. I'm not going any further than this. It's just, this is it. 
And, and so, but that facial features and, and, and the outside of our head is for looks and for identification. None of us look the same. Thank God none of you look like me. You got some advantage there. Twins, exact identical twins. I went to school, high school, with several sets of identical twins. I'll tell you what, I couldn't tell them apart. And, but there's something about their feature. The mother could and the dad could and close people, but I couldn't. You know, we got a set of twins here, but if you can't tell them apart, I'm going to tell you what, they're two really different little individuals. But we tell each other apart because of our facial features, right? I mean, we can obviously, look, sometimes we can hear the voice if it's dark. I mean, we could still know who it was. On the phone, we can know who it was because of the voice, the sound. But really, we tell each other apart because of our physical features. And some of those we like, some of those we wish, you know, our nose wasn't so long. Too bad. That's the way it is. But that will not make you not a beautiful person. Because beauty comes deeper than that. Can you say amen? But we do our best, right? So, when we look at just the outside of the head, all we see is this identification of who this person is. But what's on the inside of the head really is what's going on. The brain. The brain. Now, I said this, and, uh, uh, you know, Kay went through some, some surgeries, and, and God brought her through miraculously. But she's the only one of our family that has a verified brain. The rest of us are hoping we do. But she absolutely has found out that the brain is the center, control center of your body. And this is all for a purpose. Number one, your brain, you think. You reason. You make decisions, directives for your life out of your head. Your sense receptors send signals to the brain. The brain analyzes the sensory information and tells the body what to do in response. You have five senses that are sending signals to the brain. But then the brain transforms translates that to your body what to do. Sight, hearing, uh, smell, taste, and touch. And all those are very, very important to our lives, all of us. During COVID, I'm a lot of people that messed their smelling up. I don't know why, but it just attacked. I know it did mine for a while. And because it messes up your smelling, it also messes up your taste. And so a lot of things that we ate tasted like metal, right? It just didn't taste like it used to. And, and so that lingers, and some of you still have some little bit of that. It's kind of a weird thing. You know, it just attacked our system. But, but we need every one of these five senses. And, and those five senses react because our brain then tells our body what to do with what it has sensed. Our brain tells our body what to do with what you have seen, what you have heard. How to respond to that. And so our brain is the control. It's the control of the nervous system. It's the control of your heartbeat. 
I didn't even know that. I guess I knew that, but I didn't study in this a little bit. Your brain controls your heartbeat. Well, that's weird, you know, with all these heart attacks that are going on. The brain said shut down. I thought it was just the heart. No, the brain causes the heart to beat. The brain even tells your stomach to digest your food. Your head is the control center of your body. Well, basically all the functions of the body come from the head. This morning, I want to tell you that the church is not the head. The church is the body. The body should simply do what the head says to do. We send the reaction back to the brain. We send the feelings back there. We send what we've seen back there. We send what we've heard back there. But then it's processed by the head, who is Christ. And then it is given for us to do what He says to do as the body. And if not, then the church is retarded. I'm afraid we've got some retarded churches out there. Because they're not responding to what the brain has told them to do. They're figuring something else out. Amen. The church without Jesus being the head over it is like a, the proverbial chicken with its head cut off. We got any farm people? You cut the chicken's head off and he'll go running. Flipping, jumping. He looks like he's alive, but he really is just reacting because he has no head. In the 1940s, I, I don't know if you've ever read about this, but there was a farmer who had several chickens that he was going to slaughter this one day, I think 30 of them, and he cut all their heads off, and then he, I think he put them in a cool room or something, and then came back, and one of them was still alive, or at least what he thought was alive. A chicken really has its brain down further, connected more towards its, its spine. And so when he cut this head of this chicken off, he didn't get all the brain. And the chicken was alive. This chicken, they took this chicken and began to try and revive it. It doesn't have a head. And they're trying to revive this chicken, and they, they got it to actually would, it would get up, and I guess it would walk. They would feed it through a, a hole above its, you know, where its head was with an eyedropper and, and this little chicken. Now, you think about this. This chicken couldn't see. It couldn't hear. It couldn't nothing. But they called it Mike the Miracle Chicken. And so this family went around. Uh, from state to state, this was in the 40s, and it said they earned up to like $4,500 a month, which would be very, very humongous money back in the 40s with this chicken. After 18 months, Mike died. 
Well, Mike really was already dead. Let me tell you something. A church might be able to last a while without its head. And it might be able to walk around a little bit without its head. And, and Satan might keep some eye-dropping going on in there to try and keep it revived and alive. But pretty soon it will come to his demise because there is no church that can succeed without a head. And so the idea that we can do this another way without the Lord, without his direction, without his headship, really is just going to bring us to demise in a church. And so there are some... There are some wonderful headless churches out there. Mike, the miracle churches. They're building on everything but the Lord. They're building on programs. I mean, they are building on just, you know, on emotions, on, on bringing in crowds, on all of the physical stuff with great, great facilities. And they're building on that stuff. But the problem is they don't have a head. And so I thought I'd jot down some of the signs of a church that doesn't have a head. When it makes its decisions based on the wants of the people. So I don't know what we think church is about, but at some point, well, thank you, Peter and the apostles. They slipped up and they had a meeting and they called a vote. And ever since then, the church thought that was the, the uh, pattern towards what we should do if there's a question that we come to a vote. There's no vote in the kingdom of God. It all goes up to him and he decides. The church, remember, is to do what the brain, what the head decides to do. No, we brought in the vote. And I've said in many a meeting and, and they had... Uh, this one and that one up for vote and maybe six or eight delegates and how many votes did they get and they go through it again. You might go through it ten times. They're eliminating people. And then finally we get down to where somebody won it by one vote or two votes and, and they get up and say this. This was a mandate of God. And I'm trying to control my laughter. A mandate of God. It took God ten votes. And just one person switched over, switched camps. And now that, now that has the, the mind of God has been revealed. God doesn't work in a democracy. See, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a fallacy for us to think that because our country is a democracy and free, that the church should be like our country. We should be free. We should have a vote. Man, I want to vote down there. I want to be able to, to put my two cents in. I've got something to bring to the table. When really, Jesus Christ is ahead of all things. He has it the way He wants it to be. And all we have to do is follow it. Can you say amen? You know you've got a headless church. When the Bible is more revered than the author of the Bible. I'm sorry. You say, well, God's word is established. It can never... I want to tell you something. God is supreme. Abraham found it out, didn't he? 
go kill your son, Abraham. He never gave him an option. Well, kill your son until I tell you not to. No, go sacrifice your son. And then when it came time, the angel said, hey, don't do the boy any harm. God has provided himself a sacrifice. We saw either God lied to Abraham or God is supreme power and can change whatever he wants to change. Organizations have been built. They're powerful. They're strong, fundamental, maybe based, what we call Bible-based organizations. But when they get to the place that the Bible has more authority than the head of the church, we got a problem. Because I'll tell you this, you already know this, the Bible is subject to interpretation. And so you take it and you interpret it however you want to interpret it, and you say, God has to do this because this is the way I see it, this is the way I interpret it. And so God is bound to his word. And I'm going to tell you this, there's a lot of things in this scripture you think you know. There's a lot of things that organizations think they know, denominations think they have figured out. And listen, they don't have it right at all. God is still the head of the church. He will never relinquish his hold as being leader and God and Lord and supreme of the church. See, God has to do it because I see it written down here. No, that's a republic. A republic is, is ruled according to a charter or a constitution. Do we build on, do we trust God's word? Yes, we do. Mom, tell you this, you better leave something open for the Spirit of God because all Scripture was inspired and written, inspired by God. It was inspired by God. And so He is the author, He is the finisher, right? He's the finisher. There's some things in the Scripture that are plain. They don't need interpretation. But there are things in the Scripture that you may interpret wrong. So we have to have the Spirit of God behind this thing. The church is Spirit-driven. The church, the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. And let us not forget that the first three centuries of the early church had no Bible. But it was the same Spirit of God that led and guided them. Can you say amen? I hope there's no misunderstanding with that, but I had to bring that because sometimes people feel like the Word is stronger than God. But God says His Word and He'll perform it the way He wants to perform it. Is that okay? Come on, say amen. Next, and I think this is, this is, this is really going good. A lot of churches. You know that the church is running headless when social issues and current cultural trends move the age-old gospel aside to appeal to the world. I've kind of got this feeling, and I think most of us around here do. I don't need to hide anything. If you don't want Jesus, I don't need to cover it up and try and come in another angle. If you don't want to get right before God, I don't have, there's nothing else I can give you. And say, well, if you just sugarcoat it, you know, somebody said you need to win people to you before you can win them to God. That's balderdash. 
I'm not winning people to me. I'm winning them to the Lord. I have mistakes in my life. I don't want them to see me as God. Maybe an example. Maybe, maybe I'm going to try and be a good example. But I'm going to tell you what. I can't lead people to me. I have to lead them to the Lord. I can't change your life. I can't renew you and transform your mind and wash your sin. It has to be the Lord. And so, so I can't bring you anything else from this pulpit that's going to bless your life. We can talk about all the social junk and all the culture. I'm so sick of it. The church needs to get out of it. That's not our arena. We are not to deal with that. What we are to deal with is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God into salvation. So you know a church has lost its head when what it does is come to the people about social issues. Amen. If we never see another convert, if we never see anybody else join the body of Christ, I will not conform the message to fit them. I found out a long time ago, if I have to beg people to serve Jesus, to come to the altar, rather, if I have to beg them down here, I'm going to have to beg them to serve the Lord. And I'm not doing it. They need a transformation. And that transformation can only take place by the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's give the Lord a praise right there. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You'll know when an institution, a religious institution, a ministry, a paraministry, a church, a denomination, an organization, you'll know when they have lost their head, when they begin to flaunt wealth. Something Jesus never did and something he will never do. I thank you, Lord. That you allowed us to come to this place. But we don't make this place a God. I mean, we're so happy. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. After a year and a half, we'd have been happy with a barn. I mean, seriously. I mean, we're ready to move, right? We're so happy we're here. But I don't want this to be ornate. I don't. I don't want... That, you know, and it's beautiful. You come up here, it's just, you know, the grass is cut and, and it looks nice and there's fountains. I like that. But we're not here to impress the world with wealth. That is not what the church should do. And all this stuff that's going on TV and just bigger and better and more fabulous. And then the next church, it's multi, multi million. The next one is multi, multi, multi million. This is not from the Lord. He never said, take the kingdom's money and build big fancy stuff. He never said that. So you'll know when that begins to happen that really they're leading the head, leaving the headship of the Lord and going somewhere else. Let me tell you something else. When you see men and women who are getting rich preaching the gospel, they have left the head. They are not there anymore. They're doing their own thing. You don't, if you're preaching the gospel, you do not deserve to get rich. I mean, I guess you could say to me at this point, Pastor, you've done well, you know, you had that house and you guys have sold that. And you know, I want to tell you something else. 
during that whole term, I have been broke a few times. I have gone, I've pastored for 25 years, and I have not taken advantage of the money in this house. Oh, no. No, I've lived on a small living. I've lived not trying to exhaust finances of this body at all. And, you know, we end up with, a year ago, and we're all sitting here with $800,000. What are we going to do with it? There, there's a reason why it's there. It's because the men and women of this church are not trying to get rich on the gospel. What we're trying to do is support the gospel. We're trying to get the gospel bigger than us. We're not here to make money. We're here to project the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in doing that, we don't amass wealth. Come on, say amen. Now, preachers are doing something on the outside. We built houses and did all that. That's a separate issue. But when you come to the things of God, it doesn't belong to you to amass wealth. That's a lie from the devil. That's no head. Got no head. See, these churches and organizations are without oversight. Because if the Lord is looking over that, none of that would happen. None of that would be successful. But because it is, we know the Lord's not there. He's not blessing. But look at it. No, the Lord's not blessing. But look at all the money. They look at all the stuff. They look at all the people they have. God's surely blessing that. No, he doesn't bless only the things that he's head over. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to pray God bless your home unless he's the head over your home. I'm not going to pray God bless your job unless he's the head over your job. I'm certainly not going to pray blessing and honor and goodness on lives that don't have Him as the oversight in their life. I want to tell you something about the Lord. He never shows up to be your buddy. He's not hanging out with the guys. Every time He shows up, He's always there to take authority of the situation. doesn't come here this morning to sit in the back and hear me preach. He takes authority. So that's hard for us to understand, you know. Well, he's just so humble and meek and mild. He humbled himself one time. He humbled himself to the cross. And he looked at Pontius Pilate and said, I want to tell you something, brother. You have no power. You have no authority against me unless it has been given to you. And even in death, he took authority because he wrestled death down. He took authority in every situation that he was in. He never comes to just sit at the table with people and everybody bring their stuff to the table. No, he is always in authority because he is the head over all things. And if you're looking for a Jesus who's going to be your buddy, kind of, you know... We're sort of equals, you know. He's got his things and I've got mine. Well, you're looking for the wrong Jesus. You're going to have to go to another church on that one. There's churches that preach that. See, Jesus prophesied the destruction of the Jewish nation. And he said this in King James Version. Because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation. Oh, okay. So, he come, he, you just wanted to hang out with him. He just come to visit. All he was doing, just come to visit them, and they didn't know the time of the visitation. That's such a blundering of the word, visitation. Epi, 
episcopate. Episcopes. That doesn't mean he came to visit. It means he came to take control. Oh, you missed your visitation. No, you missed your oversight is what you missed. What you missed was the Lord who came to take control of the situation. And what you were looking for is somebody who would come in as a Messiah into your group and sort of be a part of your group, one of your prophets, one of your people. And I didn't come for that. What I came to do is take control. So, Man, he is just a control taker. Yep, that is exactly what I'm saying. So really in the Greek it, it, it reads this way. You're coming to your destruction because you did not know the time of your episcopace. You did not know it was time that your overseer came. I'm going to tell you something about your house. I'm going to tell you something about this church. We better know the time of the overseer in our life. You miss that. Well, I'll tell you what. There's not much going back. When Jesus shows up, it's to be an authority. Can everybody say amen to that? The first thing, one of the first things he did, and let's just run through a, a, a couple of these. He showed up at a wedding. He's there with his disciples. He's there with his mother. But really, he's there to take authority. Do you think it's by chance that they ran out of wine? No, they've been in preparation for a long time for this wedding. It's not by chance. It's because he's going to take authority. If he goes to a wedding, he's not sitting in the back useless. He will take authority over the wedding. That's why we, we invited him. We invited Rodney's wedding. We invited him in. We've been doing that now. We invited him in to, to Riley's wedding. And, and anybody that's getting married now, we're, we're doing that invitation. Hannah and, and, and Levi. And we invited Jesus to come because Jesus, he doesn't come to sit in the crowd. He comes to take authority. He is the head over weddings. He's the main one. He's not one that just comes and shows up. No, oh, hey, it's good. I'll throw some rice. No, he's the one who is conducting all things. He is the head over all things. He shows up walking on the water in a storm. Well, I just wanted to show my disciples, you know, just, just this cutesy little thing about walking on waves. And No, no, no. That, that's not it at all. He came to take total authority. First, he comes to take authority over the physical realm. I'm going to walk on this water. It doesn't matter what the water thinks. The water says you're going down. I'm not going down. I take authority over the water. Secondly, I take authority over the water that Peter is going to walk on. And thirdly, I take authority over the storm. And when he gets on the boat and the storm ceases to be, and in other places he stood on the bow and said, Peace be still. And the reason is, is that he is showing them and everything around them that he's an authority here. And he'll come in your life. You might have a storm going on in your life. But he's not coming in your life to sit in your boat and help you bail out water. He's coming in to take authority of the situation. 
He's going to insert his power and leadership because you can't do it on your own. You think you can and you're failing. But when you find him as the authority, then you realize the storm comes to a stop. Not because of you, but because of him. He is above all things. He is head over all things. Man, that's good preaching right there. He showed up at a funeral procession. Why did he do this? He goes down to, uh, I forget which, which town it was that, that he went to the, the funeral, raised the, raised the young man up. I forget what town it was. but He makes his way. He just happened to get there when they were bringing the boy out in the coffin. And at what timing? I mean, isn't this great circumstance? No, he was to show them something. He wants to show his disciples something. That he has authority over death. He's not just there to pat them on the back. Well, I'll just get in line with the, and, and, and I'll cry with them. They're going out to the cemetery, bury the guy. No, he reaches down and says, young man, you come out of there. Because he has the authority to do so. When he shows up at a funeral, he's there to take authority over the situation. It's just like four days late. I don't know if you hear that song. Isn't it great when he's four days late, he's still on time? He didn't show up for Lazarus. Lazarus died. Mary said he'd been dead. He'd been in the tomb for four days. Lord, if you'd have been here, we wouldn't have, this wouldn't have happened. But see, it really doesn't matter when he gets there. That's not the point. The point is that he gets there. Because if he gets there, he takes authority over the situation. And so he is the head over the burial procession. He is the head over, over that grave that Lazarus is in. There's no contest to it. He just says, come out. Now he shows up at his own grave. He shows up at his own death. But he's not there just to sit three days. He's not there just so they can pine away our Savior's dead and gone. He's there to show something. And he's already said it in three days. I want you to know something. I will rise again. I heard a preacher the other day said, Jesus didn't raise himself. You're not looking at the scriptures correctly. I lay my life down and I take it up again because he's going to show who is in authority here. He's going to show up in the realm of the dead and he's going to take authority. He's going to take authority in Sheol. He's going to take authority in paradise. He is going to lead them out of that place because when he shows up, Open the gates. Here he comes. Open up those great doors. Here comes the Lord of glory. And when he shows up, something's going to happen because he is in full authority of every situation. So he is going to come out of the grave. Amen? He showed up in resurrection power. He showed up in ascension power. Do you remember the devil in Isaiah said, I will ascend to the sides of the north? Remember that? No, he doesn't have authority for that. Sorry. And the Lord says, no, you're not ascending. You're, you're, you're going down. You're not going up. 
But the Lord ascends. And when he ascends, it's to be preeminent in all things. The first chapter, again, of Colossians. He suffered death so that he might be preeminent, head over it. So, does death rule our life? If we belong to him, does, is death the final answer? No, no, no. He has authority over death. Whosoever believes in me, though he is dead, yet shall he live. Because he's all power. He's all power in every arena of life and death, heaven and earth. He showed up at Pentecost. I don't know who you think showed up there. It was this same Lord, this baptizer, this, this one who has all power in heaven and earth. He showed up on the day of Pentecost. Yeah. Let me tell you why he showed up. He showed up to take authority over the church. And he has never let it go yet. I will build me my church. And I will start it on the day I designed, which was Pentecost. And he began building the church there. He has never quit. He hasn't handed it off to another person of a Godhead. He alone is the one who builds the church because he it is who is head over all things. So let's look at us real quick and then then we're going to be dismissed. We're just one of many small churches spread out around the farm fields in Oklahoma now. Does everybody remember years ago, this was, this was kind of humorous, and maybe this will wake you up for a second, because I'm almost done, all right? I got a sign made up for Echoes of Calvary, and uh, that was in the gym. The old one, I don't know, something happened. It was no good. So we got one that was new, fresh, beautiful. And right beside us, there was horses across the road, and there were horses next to us, and I think behind, too. And so this, this was pretty cool. Somebody came in and said, Pastor, do you know what that sign says? Who was it? Desiree. Thank you, Desiree. Do you know what that sign says? I said, sure. Just had it made. Echoes of Calvary. She said, I don't think you're reading that right. It says, Echoes of Cavalry. I said, what? It fits. We're out here in the horses. And we did it again. And we got uptown for a while. We were down by the park. Whoa. We're out in the horse fields again. So we're just one little church out in the middle of, you can go these roads and you'll find there's, there's churches all, you know, here and there. You, you think you're out in the boonies and there's a church. And we're one of them. We're one of them. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, we want to get big. You know, man, if we, we could probably, we have 300 chairs. We could put 300 chairs in here and we can get people, man, I'll tell you what, let's, let's, let's sell a monkey. Let's, oh man, let's put on a carnival. Let's do something. We got to get people to the Lord. Have a bunch of big shindigs, you know, and get people out here to the Lord. No. No. No, that's not what we need to do. 
We need to do exactly what the head of the global church says. But not only the global church, the little local churches out in the fields around Oklahoma. So how important is that? Well, I don't know, but God put us here, positioned us here, and we're going to do to his favor whatever he wants done. And so the head of the church globally is also the head of this little old church right here, Echoes of Calvary, out in Oklahoma now, and we're going to listen to the word of the Lord. Can you say amen to his lead? So I just want to read a couple of verses, and we're going to be done. Matthew, the 18th chapter, um, 23rd chapter, rather. 8th verse, 23rd chapter, 8th verse. And let me read real quick. But do you not, do not be called rabbi, for one is your leader, the Christ. And you are all brothers. And call no one father on earth, for one is your father, the one in heaven. Nobody called leaders. And this word leader here means a master leader. Don't be called a master leader. For one is your master leader, the Christ. But the greater of you shall be your servant. And whosoever will exalt himself shall be humbled. And whosoever will humble himself shall be exalted. Because he's the leader and we're not. Rodney and I and the brethren, sisters, elders of this church and body. We're only leading as the Lord leads. If we do anything more than that, we've lost the head. So Lord, be the headship. Can you say amen? Lord, be the headship of this work out here. Whatever you want to do, Lord. However you want to frame this. Whoever you want to bring. Sure, we're going to invite people. Sure, we're good. You know, we want people to come and we're going to preach to them the gospel. But, Lord, it's whoever you want in this place. Whoever you want to attach to us. Whoever you want to bring to us as part of this body. That's what we want. Can you say amen? It's however you want to do it, Lord. Because you are so much more superior than what all of our plans. Just one thought from you is so much more superior. And so that's what we ask. Can you say amen? God bless you. Let's stand and we're going to pray. and. And uh, thank